Hey everybody, thank you for checking out another HatchetCast episode here on Spotify, and if you haven't done so already, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the channel, it really does help us out. Also go check out our YouTube channel, subscribe and uh, hit the notification bell, as well as check out our Instagram and our X account. If you haven't done so yet and you are a BHTG community member, make sure you go and subscribe to the newsletter that's on the website. That gives you up-to-date information about the training schedule, what's in stock on the website, and any events that are coming to the community. So make sure you guys check up on that. It really does help us out. One of the biggest ways to support us is to come train with us. And I also have another opportunity that I'd like to talk about at the end of the podcast. If you stick around and listen to the entire podcast, you'll hear about this opportunity that we have that we're doing for those... um, we were able to jump on it and the reward and, and the stuff that we have for those types of folks that want to contribute and support us. I'm going to go ahead and read some more excerpts from the book, Fry the Brain. If you guys remember on Hatchet Cast episode 17, we did a, uh, a little reading. I did a little bit of reading from this, but I'm going to go ahead and do some more reading from it. And today it's going to be about the hide site. So let's go ahead and bust it open. There are many considerations when configuring a hide site. If a sniper plans on staying in a hide site for extended periods of time or intends to use the hide site repeatedly, then they may have the luxury of preparing the place to meet their needs. First, the sniper must have to must be able to enter and exit the hide site without being seen or announcing they have arrived. A common mistake is to use a door when entering a room, which momentarily changes the light in the room as the door opens and closes. If the door... you If the sniper uses a door, they need to cover the entrance with blankets so when they enter and exit through it, there are no light changes in the room. Once in the hide site, the sniper must ensure the enemy cannot see any movement in the room whatsoever. One thing the sniper can do to hide their movement in the room is to hang mesh netting or sheets along the walls to create corridors. The sniper moves through while in the room. Another good technique used by snipers as far back as Stalingrad is to brick up the window in a room so there is only a small port remaining that the sniper shoot out of. That way the sniper can easily block off the small window opening and move freely throughout the room while remaining undetected. Or instead of bricking up a window, a sniper can knock a small hole in the wall of the building so they have their own gun port to shoot from. This instant gunport method has been used all over from Stalingrad to Sarajevo and Ireland to Israel. If a sniper uses a building for their hide site, they probably do not need to be uncomfortable or cold. Lying in the prone position, as most conventional snipers are taught to fire from, is fatiguing. Yes, it is. I've done it. It sucks, especially you do it for a long period of time. Most of the time, you know, you're observing. So just laying there... Uh, you know, now I'm not a sniper, but I have done a lot of time in a hide site just watching something, and it is very fatiguing, especially if you're laying on your stomach. Because you're trying to prop your head up and, you know, put your hands underneath your chin, trying to hold that head up, and if you're wearing nods, or it's just fatiguing. It's good, to, it's nice to be able to sit down. <clears throat> there is no reason why a sniper cannot sit comfortably in a chair as they observe the surrounding terrain through a small gun, port, or loophole. In fact, a good idea is to use the executive position for prolonged periods of time. With this method, the snipers set up their own position with a desk and a chair. They move their weapon on the desk, pointing toward their target, and sit in the chair facing the desk as if they were a businessman writing a memo. This relaxed position enables a sniper to observe an area for hours on end with their weapon at the ready, ready to make a quick shot. 
If a sniper must lay on the floor of a building due to tactical reasons, they should think of the materials present to make themselves more comfortable and to insulate themselves from the heat-sapping qualities of cold stone or a concrete floor. For those who do not know, if you've never laid on the floor or been camping and you didn't use a camping mat, like a sleeping mat, you... Even in the summertime, like if you lay down, you're like, oh, that's kind of nice. Or you go on a picnic and you fall asleep in the park or whatever. I don't ever do that, but I you know, know people who do. And you don't have something insulating your body or separating your body from the, from the ground. It will literally suck the heat out of your body. And you will wake up, even in the dead of summer, shivering cold. Uh, it, it, it's pretty cool. Pretty wild. Pretty wild. All right. <clears throat> It might be useful to line the sniper's position with a mattress, left-behind clothes, cushions from a couch, or blankets. The entire building should be thought of as a tool to help the sniper accomplish their mission. An unconventional but effective means of acquiring a good hide site is through a home invasion, which was a popular method used by the IRA, by both sides in Israel, and by the Iraqi insurgents. The home invasion has the advantage of providing a sniper team with a good shooting platform regardless if people are in the home or not, and regardless if they support the guerrillas or not. With this method, a sniper team selects a private residence that they want to use as a shooting platform. Then a security team conducts a forced entry of the house and holds the family hostage. Not really good if you want to keep relations going, but it's effective. And arranges a temporary hide site to meet their operational needs, takes their shot, and leaves the residence. Simple, right? Maybe not. This tactic has its challenges since it is only a short-term method. After all, how long can you hold a family hostage before someone knows there's something wrong? A few hours? And the family are potential eyewitnesses who will later be questioned by enemy security forces. Just think of all the challenges. The gorilla must conceal their own identities, herd the family into an isolated room so they can be controlled, blindfolded, and keep them quiet block their hearing, rotate them into the bathroom, deal with phone calls and unexpected visitors, keep the hostages calm, all while creating an appearance of normalcy in the house until the operation is over. As mentioned before, a sniper may prefer to use a vehicle as a shooting platform, which is in fact a mobile hide site. A vehicle like a van may be chosen for hide sites because it conventionally hides conveniently hides the shooter and their activities. However, a van is a suspicious vehicle by nature. How many guys, you see a van come around, you feel for your pistol whenever you're holding a Penix, especially if you're walking with your kids. Um, yeah, we vans have such a stigma now that they are no longer inconspicuous. Regardless of what the vehicle the sniper chooses, something must be done to conceal the sniper's activity inside the vehicle. This can be done by applying tinting to the vehicle's windows like the DC sniper did putting up sunshades or curtains like the Iraqi insurgents do, slapping bumper stickers and signs, or even temporarily screening the sniper by holding up a newspaper or a road map. Nobody has a road map anymore, so if you do that, it is going to be extremely suspicious. Experienced snipers devise a method for shooting from the vehicle without raising eyebrows. This may be as simple as opening a tinted window, a crack, sticking the barrel of a weapon out, and firing a shot. The sniper could make a gun port in the car just as with the building by drilling a hole inside a side door and then firing through this hole as they lay down in the back of the vehicle. The same thing can be done if the shooter fires from the trunk of the car. Now remember, this is what the DC sniper did. He also fired from the trunk of the vehicle. And uh, it actually masked the sound quite a bit to a point where people had no idea. They heard something, but they weren't really sure what it was. The shooter can make a gun port through the rear bumper 
rig the bumper as low so they can lower it when they are inside of the target, make a shot, and raise the bumper again to cover up the gun port. Iraqi insurgent snipers have used all these techniques to modify their vehicles. With the help of a metal shop, a sniper can modify their vehicle by armoring it to withstand counterfire from opposing security forces. The IRA Goldfinger sniper crew did this where they installed an armored shield in the back of their Mazda hatchback. We will discuss the IRA sniper team in a subsequent chapter. Now, hiding the shot is critical skill for the guerrilla sniper, and the ability to successfully hide the muzzle flash, muzzle blast, and sound of the gunshot. Most snipers can move undetected to their shooting platform, lie in wait, and remain invisible, and hit their intended target. Far fewer can successfully conceal their weapon's visual and audio signatures, ever, even though this is the number one reasons why snipers get killed. The first issue we will discuss is muzzle flash. Because the speed of light is much faster than the speed of sound, and muzzle flash is the first signature that will be detected when a shot is fired, let us define what muzzle flash is. Muzzle flash is the visible flame caused by burning gunpowder exiting the barrel of a weapon after a shot is fired. Generally speaking, the larger the caliber of the weapon, the larger the muzzle flash. Muzzle blast, which accompanies muzzle flash, is the disturbance caused at the muzzle when the rapidly burning gunpowder explodes at the end of the barrel. Duh. We, we actually talk about this a lot in our, um, our fighting carbine course. It used to be called the general purpose carbine course. Um, we talk about it in our ghost fighter night vision class where we will actually do signature tests for every student's rifle. So, um, you know, uh, shooting to see how much muzzle blast is coming out of that muzzle, how much muzzle flash, um, especially in the ghost fighter night vision course, we will actually take rifles and go walk, you know, 20, 30 yards away down the line and allow students to observe how much flash suppression or flash that they have out of their rifle. So they have an idea of what, like, the signature is of their specific rifle. So that is something that's a huge deal, especially if you want to not be found, you know, whether you're a sniper or just have a standard fighting carbine, doesn't matter what it is. You definitely want to make sure that you take that into consideration, your muzzle blast and that flash. This exploding gas disturbs any dirt, dust, or debris located near the weapon's muzzle raising a small cloud of matter. So like if we were shooting, uh, say for example, in the fighting carbon course, when we do the VTAC barricades and we go for those lower ports, um, that's where those suppressors really come into play and they make their money. You know, guys that are running muzzle brakes, man, they just dust themselves out. It's pretty wild. So remember, you know, if you have a gun with the muzzle brakes, you are deleting recoil, but you also have a lot of other factors that you need to consider as well. The most effective way to conceal muzzle flash and prevent muzzle blast is to use a sound suppressor. The suppressor will eliminate almost all visible muzzle flash and reduce muzzle disturbance to almost nothing. Um, we should probably do a video on this, but we have um, done it where it, you can physically see the difference between muzzle blast with a flash hider and in a muzzle brake and then muzzle blast that you see with a suppressor it's it's unreal um how much the suppressor can direct that muzzle blast I, I know there's even the blast cone things but it's still you still have a lot of concussion that suppressor really does take a lot of the bark out of it when it comes to muzzle blast <clears throat> a simple way to hide the muzzle flash and blast is to fire the weapon from a loophole for instance from a hole in the wall so the wall itself blocks a flash 
and blast. A vi- variation of this method is to take a keyhole shot. In other words, to fire from deep within a structure. Where, this is, where there's a restricted, enclosed, elongated opening, so only the target of a keyhole shot it's only a target which is directly in front of the keyhole can see the flash and blast. A perfect example of a keyhole shot is firing down a hallway through an open door out and outside at the target. Unless a person is looking directly down the relatively narrow opening, no one will see where the shot came from. Another way to eliminate muzzle blast, although it does not stop muzzle flash, is to spread out a damp rag about two feet by two feet in size under the muzzle of the weapon so the cloth absorbs the muzzle blast and prevents dirt or debris from flying up after the shot. It's even easier to pour water over the surface of whatever area a sniper is going to shoot from to eliminate the dust cloud after the shot. That's that's the big giveaway. The dust cloud um, is, is a huge giveaway because it, it after you shoot, that dust cloud, that dust kind of floats in the air and hangs down there, so it gives more time for the for the enemy's eye to catch that movement and to catch that change in the environment. A shooter can reduce their muzzle flash by firing in daylight hours or from a well-lit area to reduce an observer's ability to distinguish the muzzle flash from surrounding darkened uh, surrounding light sources. However, firing a weapon without a suppressor at night or from a darkened area produces a huge light flash readily identified for what is a muzzle flash from a weapon. The sniper uses a flash suppressor to reduce the incriminating flash, but all a flash suppressor, not to be confused with a standard suppressor, does is prevent the shooter from being blinded from the blast while doing nothing to hide the flash to enemy observers. Sometimes you'll get some muzzle flash that will actually kind of disperse that. So you'll see flame, but it kind of makes it harder to see really where that shot's coming from. For those who have shot you know, muzzle brakes with night vision, it literally will make your, some, some of those devices make your nods auto gate, which is kind of annoying. So, um, yeah, having a suppressor for night stuff is, is, is key and, you know, or a really good flash hider. The sniper can use other concealment methods like shooting through a medium that vexes a visual screen without affecting the performance of the bullet. For example, the sniper can shoot from behind the fine mesh netting that no one can see through at a distance but the sniper can see and shoot out of without affecting bullet trajectory. The sniper can also shoot through plastic, cardboard, or cloth as long as it does not affect the bullet's path. If a sniper takes advantage of their optics, they can shoot from such a distance the target cannot see the muzzle flash and blast due to the limits of their eyesight. A sniper firing at a target from a thousand meters away from a concealed position can be sure their target cannot even see the sniper even if they were looking directly at them. While any one of these improvised techniques may work, a sniper will most likely have to combine several of these techniques to conceal their muzzle flash and blast depending on the situation and local conditions. There are a few things in regards to ammunition the sniper should be aware of. To start, the sniper should never use tracer ammunition. <laughs> That's pretty self-explanatory. But, all right, while this obviously sounds like an obvious statement, there is an Iraqi insurgent video that shows a sniper shooting an American checkpoint with a tracer round. One can be sure this was meant to create more impressive visual effect, but it also exposed their position, more than their muzzle flash or blast did. Another reason why we mention this is that some people put tracer rounds at the bottom of their magazine so they know they are running out of ammunition and that it is time to change their magazine. 
it would be a mistake to accidentally fire off a tracer round when one was trying to be stealthy. That's the key word, stealthy. Another consideration is a type of powder used with the ammunition being fired. Most modern ammunition uses smokeless powder, so hardly any smoke from the burning gunpowder is visible after a shot is made. So if you're hand loading, that is definitely something you want to make sure of. I think all of it's going to be smokeless, but either way, make sure that you are checking to make sure you have smokeless powder that you're running, especially if you're trying to make sure that you be stealthy in your operations. So this is just some stuff that we wanted to, I wanted to, you know, a small quick excerpt that I wanted to read about um, in this, and uh, we'll continue reading on on the next episode, but uh, the next one they talk about some case studies and also some of the different types of um, sniper rifles, you know, that is used for urban sniping. So understand, they're not all rifles. Sometimes there are pistols with suppressors or submachine guns, but they're built for a very specific purpose. Uh, so, you know, kind of thinking outside the box, especially if you're trying to do some clandestine type stuff, or you're in an urban warfare type setting, a lot of these things may come into play about, you know, how to mitigate flash and how to, you know, increase your survivability by not making mistakes and disturbing your environment. So one of the things that I want to talk about at the end of this podcast was about the lifetime membership. So a lot of guys are asking, like, what does a lifetime membership entail? And essentially what it does is what does a lifetime membership get you? Um, so what the lifetime membership does for, for Barrel and Hatchet is it allows us, it's almost like paying it forward or like a GoFundMe, to help make sure that Barrel and Hatchet's kickstart continues strong, that we have the funds to be able to run more training, to be able to get more equipment, to be able to uh, and film and make better content. That is the point of the lifetime membership. So it does help us on the front end to be able to have the funds to be able to get the stuff to keep the show going full time. The other thing that it's good for is specifically for you guys, it's a deal. It's literally the same as paying for a two-day class or two one-day classes. So you actually, for being a lifetime member, what we do to honor that, if you plan it on spending you know, that amount of money on two one-day classes, is we give you two one-day classes or one two-day class free every year. Um, so you can gift that one. If you take you know a one-day class with a friend, you can gift that slot to a friend, and you get to go to two one-day classes or one two-day class for free once a year. It also gets you access to the hidden videos or membership-only videos that we have filmed. So a lot of the videos that we are going to be filming for members only are going to be things that we can't show on YouTube, like straight up. Uh, So like, you know, building stuff, um, you know, manual of arms for different type of weapon systems, um, bringing on guests that talk about tactics and things that they can't discuss on YouTube. So those are the types of things that we're going to be building a huge catalog of videos on the members only video list. And also we have a group chat that is supported through the website that allows uh, lifetime members to be able to connect with each other and also ask us questions directly. And we do plan on doing a live Q&A session with those lifetime members to inquire about like, hey, what topic should we hit on? Um, What do you guys think about this trip? Or what do you guys think about doing? Maybe we'll do a lifetime members only event uh, at, you know, a certain place. And so that is what we want to do to honor those who have 
help to pay it forward so that way we can continue to do this full time. The other big thing is that for anybody that takes a training class with us, we are going to add you to a community chat that is supported by the website so that way you can be connected with other students who have taken our classes. And you guys can discuss all kinds of things, connect, and build that Barrel & Hatchet community behind the scenes. So if you've taken a class, we will be giving you guys access to that community group chat. So we wanted to offer that to you guys and kind of let you know a little bit about what that actually entails and what that does to help Barrel & Hatchet. Um, but yeah, guys, make sure you go out and train, check the calendar, sign up for the newsletter, continue to train and make sure that you're the asset and not the liability, especially this year in 2024. You are worth the investment. Make sure you're safe out there and continue to train and we'll see you on the next one.